Here's me no good adventures, man. That was that was a terrible attempt at the Star Wars. Song. Oh, that's what that was. <laughs> yeah, it's what it was. What was what it was trying to be. Um, but yeah, we're back with a, another episode of uh, Eric's Mediocre Adventures. Um, it's been it's it's probably the first time I've missed like a week of uploading in a while. Uh, it's been it's been a couple weeks. Last one I would have done was uh, Wonder Woman, and it's just for the most part I find I enjoy doing it more with Matthew, who is who is back. After the birth of his child, his pro- yeah. his progeny, <laughs> heir to my throne, the, his, <laughs> the heir to his throne, uh, and we are doing our next, I suppose, series of film-based stuff. Uh, we're doing Star Wars, and we're doing them in chronological order within the universe. So that that means obviously that we're going by their calendar. So episode one to three, then Rogue One and th- no Solo first, then Rogue One, and then original, and then the Disney hot mess. <laughs> yeah, we agree. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which I'm, my feelings are complicated on on those, and I know you are less positive on them than I am so <laughs> I'll enjoy getting to those but um yeah we're starting with episode 1 today uh probably one that we're going to have very different views on uh <laughs> my general thoughts in this movie have always been complicated I think mm. until I realized that they're not <laughs> I I realized that I like this movie um and I know that's kind of blasphemous to say but I do like it um I can distinctly remember the first time I saw this movie. At that point, my family and I were living where you are now. Uh, we were living in Edmonton, Alberta. Even though you're, you're not technically in Edmonton, but whatever. Um, close uh, enough. Close enough, yeah. I was six, because this came out in 1999. And uh, we went to see this movie pretty early on in its release. I'm not really sure why, because I don't think my parents, as far as I know, are, are big fans of Star Wars, like by any means. And I don't think my, my brother is either, but when we went to see this, I loved it. I was obsessed with Darth Maul. I was obsessed with Anakin. And the reason I distinctly remember going to see this movie is because after it, we went to go look at Husky Puppies. Because we were looking at getting a dog. And, uh, yeah, so we were looking at Husky Puppies. We didn't get a Husky, but we were looking at Huskies. And, but for, like, from there, that's, that's when my Star Wars, like, obsession began, was seeing this movie. Because... I can't recall if I'd ever actually seen the original trilogy fully or at all at that point. So, like, episode one was essentially my introduction to it. And then from there, I got, like, a toy version of the Darth Maul lightsaber. I got the Star Wars uh, Phantom Menace picture book that t- that made all of us think Anakin was getting a yellow lightsaber. Like, all that stuff. I had the PC game, uh, the the movie game. I had my cousin had the pod racing game, and I played that like whenever we went to his house. I got pa- got the power battles game for the PlayStation One uh, when that came out, so it was pretty much really, really big for me. Um, before I talk about, I guess, like my basic thoughts of the movie and introducing the movie, what was your experience with Star Wars? I suppose before this came out, and then when it came out. 
Uh, yeah, it's hard to say because, like you said, it came out in 99. So, I mean, I was seven, roughly, at that time. Um, it. I don't recall a whole lot around that time. I know, like, uh, my dad at least had like the collection box sets I guess at the time like the VHS collections for like the original trilogy I think we might have had like two different versions of those and I, I do recall us actually going to see uh, Return of the Jedi in theaters I think it played before like they might have even done like a couple viewings of all of the original movies leading up to The Phantom Menace because we were in uh, Ontario at the time and I think that before Phantom Menace came out, they actually put out the other original three movies. And I recall going to see uh, Return of the Jedi, and like, I vaguely, not vaguely, I completely remember that scene in that movie where they're like, you know, Luke and Leia are going through Endor with like their speed bikes. And I remember all of that. I thought it was super cool. And then the Phantom Menace came out. And yeah, like, like you said, Darth Maul was super cool. Pod racing, I thought, was awesome at the time. Uh, just seeing the Jedi's being so much more than what they clearly were in like the original trilogy in terms of like choreography and things like that, and then uh, afterwards, I just remember like all the toys. Yeah. But it was pretty much a from that point onward, I I definitely remember it was just like a a slope of hype for like episodes two and three, all the way up through that next like what seven years for those next couple movies to come out. Yeah, six six years, and then uh, yeah, it was like I didn't play a whole lot of the Star Wars games. Like I know a lot of people were playing like the Jedi Outcast games and the uh, the Academy games and stuff like that. But I remember in arcades playing like the pod racing simulators. Yeah, we'd actually hop into a pod racer. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, in terms of games, I, I don't think I really jumped more into any any of them until the Knights of the Old Republic stuff. Yeah, that's fair. Like the only like I never played any of the PC games, um, like like the Jedi Academy games or anything like that. The only PC game I had was the uh, the actual like movie game, mm-hmm. and I think it's because I got it at Staples. I saw it at Staples when we were buying school supplies, and I bought it with my allowance. So I <laughs> think that was back when games were like ten dollars, and then <laughs> the allowance would cover it. But yeah, so um. As I was saying, I liked this movie then, and I like it now. Uh, I think there is a certain time period, and I feel this for for a few different movies, uh, where everyone felt like they had to hate these movies for some reason. And the same thing kind of happened to me. I convinced myself that I didn't like it until about 2013, when I had uh, I got the six movies on Blu-ray while I was working at Future Shop. You were, you were not there yet, but I think you started working there the year after me. <laughs> but... Um, I bought them there and I watched them all again and I started to realize how much I appreciated this movie. Like, yeah, Jar Jar is kind of annoying. And cut by kind of, I mean really annoying. Um, some of Anakin's lines sound like they were written by a very old man who doesn't know how kids talk. And there's some I mean, other... Odd, <laughs> yes. And then there's some other odd choices that were made. But for the most part, like I, I think this movie's quite good. And with some minor tweaks, it could be incredible. Like, I think he cut out some of the lines of Anakin, like the yippee, and this is pod racing and that kind of stuff. And I think, like, the anti-cheese edit, I don't know if you've seen any of those, but I think they had the right idea, where they're like, let's take the trade federations, let's give them an alien language, not the 
somewhat offensive accented English that they have, like give us a little less Jar Jar, and then most of my problems with the movie are resolved. And I, f- yeah. yeah, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I, I don't, uh, I don't know where you think I kind of fall into with this one, but I'm actually quite a fan myself. I feel like um, they probably lose you at the second one, if I had to guess. But I, I imagine you'd probably like this one a bit. <laughs> yeah, the like the, with this one, I was, when I was rewatching it, I know I've watched it a few times. Like when I keep thinking back of like if I'm bored and I look back, I'm like, okay, I'll watch the prequels. It's typically always Revenge of the Sith, but I also am like, I'd actually kind of really like to watch the Phantom Menace, and it's very, it's a very simple plot. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it makes sense. Like, I get, like, the, a lot of the complaints are, you know, oh, politics is boring, and oh, Jar Jar is annoying, and stuff like that. And even, yeah, I think it's about an hour into the movie, and they're still just doing pod racing type stuff on Tatooine. Like, it, but everything moves really quickly, and it just, you're not really, like, even if you're on Tatooine for, a, like, say, a solid 30 minutes, let's say. 30 or 40 minutes it's not like it's boring the whole time you're there yeah you get a lot of different like cool characters you got darth maul hunting people like it's it's pretty solid all the way through there's not really any lulls which is pretty nice and then even though the political stuff is boring it has a lot of long-term value well i I don't even find the political stuff boring i find it interesting now like more so that i know more about the, the world itself yeah and like even like like I've been replaying the old Republic again, and a lot of that is politics stuff, and I'm interested by it. Like, <laughs> I know like when I play it, sometimes I skip the dialogue, but that's because I'm like I'm restarting the game, so I'm seeing a lot of the stuff I've already seen. So I'm like, let's just get past this and and to get to the new stuff. But like I find that stuff interesting, and, I, and it's the same here. There's nothing, at least in this one, where I get really bored. Yeah, but I know like at the time. Uh, that was one of the, and that's still one of the complaints I see online about it is people say like it's it's boring, but like I agree in terms of what's going on, especially what this trilogy means to say like the next trilogy, the political stuff is the more interesting um, background things on the go, like with Palpatine's rise, you know what I mean? Like that's the best in a lot of ways. That's the best stuff going on in these trilogies is Anna, or Palpatine's rise, and you can see like the subtle and somewhat not subtle things that like push him in that direction right which is really cool yeah i it's something I'm, that i'm going to talk about more in the third movie because uh, i feel like it fits more there but i think the, the the prequel trilogy of itself like as a whole was too big a story for three movies and i think now that years later that it's been fleshed out significantly via comic books uh multiple clone wars series etc you can appreciate it a lot more because you know all the other stuff that was supposed to be included yeah. originally is now all in there, so you get all that. And I, f- I think that's a big part of making them better as well. Because I know, like, I, I looked at reviews again, and at the because I remember, per, like, I'm six, so who knows how, how much of this is right, but I thought at the time that people really liked the movie and it was received well, and I didn't. I didn't recall like hearing a lot of hate until after Attack of the Clones came out. And yeah. so when I looked it up, there's obviously some negative reviews from review like critics at the time, 
but for the most part it seems like it was it was very well received and even though people had their gripes about the movie the majority of the disappointment about it and the hate didn't come till later the internet was a different beast right around 99 yeah (laughs) (laughs) uh there i know like there's a lot of like you you read about it online especially like where like you said you and i were both like six six or seven or whatever um there was a lot of like long-term impact on like a lot of the actors that actually had on this movie like uh jake lloyd he had a really rough go and uh i can't remember his name right now i'm at best yeah yeah i'm at best he those two guys had it really bad yeah and I, I know I don't know if you've seen it, but Ahmed Best put out a, a YouTube video a couple of years ago that, that actually yeah. talked about all that, and I it it was crazy. Yeah, it, but it's like absurd. you and I wouldn't have seen that. Like you and I, like for us, it was like the internet wasn't what it was, and the more or less the movie did seem to be very catered towards like a younger audience like ourselves. Oh, but yeah. I guess like the older people, yeah, they were not fans. <laughs> and like and like. Like honestly, like that's that's how clueless I was because it's like a thing, like <laughs> when when um when uh, the first like stuff for Attack of the Clones came out, I didn't realize that they'd recast Anakin. I just thought Jake Lloyd got older, like yeah, <laughs> like, like that kind of thing. Like at the time, that that's how how we were. But yeah, I think I feel like this is one of those movies that it will be looked on more fondly, and it, and it is being looked on more fondly now. But the the fondness for it will continue to grow as time goes and people stop kind of like following the stream of of mass culture because i feel like another movie like that like the matrix uh sequels are that are some of that i think they're not nearly as bad as everyone tries to make them out to be uh spider-man 3 is 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 a mess of a movie but only at the second half the first half of the movie is actually quite good like it's, yeah, I gotta. Um, re- I have to rewatch all of those movies leading up to the new Spider-Man one. Yeah, it's those kind of things where I think like so ma- for so ma- like so long people are telling you that this movie's bad, that you just also agree that it's bad until you don't. Does that mean that sequels are gonna eventually warm up to you? I, I episode seven's still up there in one of my favorite Star Wars movies. I don't like eight. <laughs> And nine has a lot of problems, but nine's mostly fine. Like I just think overall that trilogy is a mess because they they obviously did not have a plan, and that's. <laughs> but we'll get to that when we're there. Um, I was gonna, that actually, I was just about to say that'll actually lead us right back to the fact that you know episode one is the start of George Lucas's plan and his last trilogy. Um, well, he had like, a he had a sequel like he had a sequel trilogy planned. Right, like, but obviously this is the last one that he actually had the opportunity to really to do yeah um so as far as with what you see in this trilogy and then what i have actually come to terms with it calling like the palpatine saga like it's not the saga like i don't know if you agree with that or not but like i seriously start to think that episodes one to nine is more a palpatine saga than it is a skywalker saga Uh, weirdly enough yeah probably it's yeah, or the both of them, and it's always been a, a game, like a like a game between them, <laughs> or a man and his dog. <laughs> yeah. But I, uh, yeah. um, a general complaint about this movie too is that is the overuse of CGI, which I like. I still see a lot, but to to that I say like to anyone who says that, go watch the special best. 
Words. Go watch the special features or any of the making of documentaries, and you'll see how much of this movie was practical in models. Like, I think they say in that that this one had more models and practicality than any of the original trilogy did. I think if that's true, I think the problem that they have then is that where they decided to use CGI was too large. I I, I think, like, personally, I think they have conflated the complaints from episode two and three into episode one. I don't think episode one has the CGI problems that everyone tries to make it out. It's definitely the oldest, though, so that's probably why it doesn't resonate as well. Like, people are like, there's so much CGI on here, because at the time, like, when you, especially when you look at two and three, I mean, I feel like two is actually worse, but oh, anyway. two is worse. Two, yeah, that's, I think that's my point. Like, in one, like, the things that a lot of people like to say at CGI aren't. Like, the pod casing, the pod, uh, pod racing arena is not CGI, it's a model. The droid ship at the beginning is a model, like... All these kind of things are models. The only CGI really is like Jar Jar. The environment. Well, the well the environment when they're actually doing the race, yes, but that's that's pretty. It's a much huge it. portion of the movie. <laughs> oh yeah, it's, a, it's too long of a portion of the movie. We'll get to that. Um, but yeah, so just the I guess the basic history of this movie. It came out like we said in, in 1999 May, uh, which was the Star Wars day for a very long time as Star Wars movies would come out in May and it was kind of their thing uh, it became the third highest grossing film in history at that time behind Titanic and Gone with the Wind I think I never remember what the second one is but um, it was nominated for some Oscars but all of those Oscars got yoinked by the Matrix uh, and then the movie was re-released in theaters in 3D in 2012 didn't interest me in the slightest as I hate 3D, but it the movie got some more money, so like good for, good for it. <laughs> and then this movie kicks right off with a, your classic uh, crawl and the music, and it starts right away with uh, a Republic ambassadorship carrying two Jedi as they approach the main ship of the Trade Federation, who we have learned from the block uh, from the crawl have a blockade surrounding the planet Naboo. And we're introduced to a lot of people here quite quickly. <laughs> we meet Jedi Master Qui-Gon Jinn, played by Liam Neeson, and we meet his apprentice, Obi-Wan, played wonderfully by Ewan McGregor. I don't know how to say his first name. I hope that's right. Um, and then we also meet the Trade Federation dudes. Don't know their names, but they somehow stick around throughout the entire trilogy but Darth Maul doesn't <laughs> anyways <laughs> we were also quickly introduced uh, to Lord Sidious via holocron and those with a keen eye would immediately put together that this dude is the emperor <laughs> Yeah. and we get Palps' uh, first quotable line that I will make it legal <laughs> love it yeah, that definitely uh, as far as like even if you weren't like up if you haven't seen the original stuff, like if you didn't know, you see that guy and he's just like, you know, there's some illegal stuff on the go, and he's just talking about how he's gonna make it legal. You're just like, damn, <laughs> so just, this guy's gonna make some shit happen. Yeah, it's like, whoa, okay, <laughs> this guy ain't messing around. And the action kind of kicks off right away as the Trade Federation destroys the Jedi ship, killing the uh, Republic like pilots and stuff. 
and then they try to poison them, but the Jedi yeet themselves out of the room, and they take a bunch of battle droids out. Already, the lightsaber combat is shown to be so much more than in the other movies, where it was kind of just emotional, aggressive swings. Like, this is the first time we're seeing Jedi in their prime. And, like, you get, like, as we watch Obi-Wan, who's just keeping the droids off his master's back as Qui-Gon tries to cut through a door. You get to see, like, some force speed, which you never really see again in any of the movies, but they do it this one time. Uh, and then you get the first kind of bit of bad CGI uh, from the Droidicas. I feel like it stands out a little bit. Like, it, it still looks great, and I've seen worse, like, in 2020 stuff. But compared, like, comparatively, it, it just doesn't, it's not It's not a great effect. I don't know if you noticed that, too. Like, with the machines themselves, or, yeah, like, the, they're... The, the, ro- the, the droidicas, the, or it's Obi-Wan calls them the destroyers, the rolly ones with the shields. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know, I... They look quite I, bad to me. It, it all kind of makes, like, it's all kind of the same... So it didn't really stand out as, like, exceptionally bad by me. Oh, fair enough. Um, we then meet one more person. Well, technically two. <laughs> we meet Queen Amidala via teleconference. I'm assuming that the one in the teleconference was Natalie Portman, because I think I could see Kira Knightley behind her. And Kira Knightley is the most common decoy in this movie. So, like, if it's not Natalie Portman who's Queen, it's Kira Knightley. So I'm pretty sure in the teleconference it's Natalie Portman. Not really important, but just something I noticed. Uh, and then we also actually meet Senator Palpatine, who, <laughs> the way you said that's going to make me seem real dumb here, but fun fact, <laughs> I never figured out that he was the Emperor until I got a box of cereal that had like a guide to Episode 3 on it, like a year before Episode 3 came out. <laughs> so I was looking at this and I was like, hold on. <laughs> Hold on. What? <laughs> did no one tell you that? No, no one told me that. No. How did you not know that? Because <laughs> I was dumb. <laughs> oh shit! I was a ten-year-old boy, and I was stupid. <laughs> well, at least you admit it. Yeah, no, I, I, I distinctly remember that. It was there was like a family tree on the back of this on this box, and I'm looking at it. And there's, like, a picture of Palpatine, and then, like, right beside it is, is the picture of the Emperor, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> Isn't that something? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so this is kind of just our opening bit, and the Jedi leave the, uh, the droid ship via separate dropships to Naboo, and our first scene of the movie is kind of done. So, like, what are your thoughts to this point, I suppose? <laughs> You're talking about when uh, Qui-Gon's running? Yes. And he meets our new best friend? Oh, he hasn't met him yet, but to that point, yeah. How do you, how do you feel about the movie up to before meeting our new best friend? Okay. Well, yeah, I actually... this is I feel like it's one of the stronger openings in a lot of ways. Because, uh, like, with the crawl, you obviously you are getting all that information about how... Naboo is being like there's a blockade. There's some clearly some political stuff on the go, and this is kind of where I think it really helps like the longevity of how much you can actually enjoy this movie is because you actually get all this stuff going on in the background that you can appreciate more 
especially over the course of the trilogy. But uh, yeah, you get that ship arriving, and you're like, okay, these guys, these ambassadors are here, are gonna like solve this problem. So you can kind of tell they're Jedi. They got they got the whole cloak thing on the go, and then uh, it's not until that C-3PO wannabe uh, droid kind of lets the cat out of the bag that uh, the Trade Federation decides to attack. Yeah. And it was cool that, like... You mean they... any protocol droid? <laughs> yeah. They all look the same. <laughs> um, I think it was kind of cool, though, that, like, it wasn't until they knew, like, okay, they're Jedi, that Palpatine at that point was like, yeah, you just gotta kill them. That's... Like, we're in it now. I felt like that... He has to be pretty confident, and this has to be a very important uh, situation for not only the Chancellor at the time to send two Jedi Knights to go and resolve the problem, but also for Palpatine to decide, hey, let's just kill these guys, like, right away. Well, that's the thing. At that time, and, and it's part of, like, I guess... Like we we kind of say that this is Jedi at their prime, but it's it's not really because they're they're essentially the dogs of the Republic. Like they're yeah. they're guard dogs sent out to do the Republic's bidding, which is not good. It has stagnated them and it's taken them away from like what their true purpose is supposed to be. Something that Qui Gon like kind of the more you know about him from like the extended universe, you know that that's kind of like his whole thing, and that's why Dooku leaves the Order is because he like he realizes they're not doing like what they're supposed to and it's and you can kind of see that here that they're being used like as negotiators for for the republic when they're technically not supposed to be part of the republic yeah they're supposed to be completely separate from all of the politics yeah um but it's cool i I thought it was really cool like you know as soon as the room gets poisoned like they try to poison you see some like Jedi traits coming through, like they're clearly holding their breath for, I don't know, minutes at a time because the droids are like they show up to the room and they're like, okay, they should be dead by now, but they're not. Yeah. So like, I know that's one of the things uh, that you mentioned before, the force speed stuff. Like a lot more force related traits are on display in these movies than there previously was, and that there probably will ever be. Yeah. Uh. But no, it was really cool. I, I enjoyed it a lot. And then it, it does jump very quickly from that initial attack down to Naboo, where things clearly take a different swing at character development. Yeah, and like what you're saying with the Force, too, is it's um, any any anytime you want to just get learnt about Star Wars, I always recommend people go just go listen to Sam Witwer talk about Star Wars. And he's talked about how, like, I can't remember if he was just doing an interview or it was one of the commentaries that he did uh, for this. But, um, like, he, the way he talks about it, and he's like, the only force we see and the only Jedi fights we really see are from Luke in the original trilogy, who is a novice at best. (laughs) Like, (laughs) yeah, so, like, he, he learns... The only thing he learns really from Obi Wan is Force Sense, and everything else he kind of figures out himself. So he learns like the Force Pull himself. Uh, he saw Obi Wan do a mind trick once. It's like oh. we don't we don't really get to see much of the Force. So this is the first real time outside of the games and the extended universe. Like so, I guess for the mass audience, this is the first time seeing what Jedi 
some of what Jedi can do. Which yeah, when I think of uh, of all of all of these movies, and even the sequels, like there really isn't a whole lot that they've really shown off. Um, but it's really nice that you know, at least it is a it's a big jump forward, which I really like. Yeah, for sure. So we're on the ground uh, in Qui Gon meets possibly the greatest character <laughs> of our generation. Uh, he means Jar Jar Binks. Who I think would honestly be a much better character if he was less silly, but that's just me. Um, Still, easily one of the most important characters in the trilogy, though. See, you say that, but I also I watched the making of documentary, and George Lucas said the same thing. He said Jar Jar working was the most important thing about this movie, but he also said that people would love him. So I was just sitting there like, how could you be so wrong? <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I could see why he. Like I think he is very important to the trilogy as a whole. But... I think he's important to the story of the trilogy, but yes. like as an actual character, I think he is is better less better left unthought of. <laughs> but he's not interesting at all. He's actually very hard to deal with, yeah. and you see that so much even more so in like the second movie, which I think is even whole, like, even funnier. Yeah. So like but, he uh... Uh, he the only good thing about him is the effects and how they made him. Like, because in 1999, that's incredible. Like, they did these kind of innovative things, like George Lucas and Star Wars, before anyone else had even, like, thought about them. Like, we wouldn't have, we would not have Gollum if not for Jar Jar, likely. Like, yeah, I think they've said that uh, because of all the work that they had put in on Phantom Menace and creating Jar Jar, the reason why we've gotten characters like Gollum and, and Thanos how, how, and Thanos like where all of those things have trended uh, since then it's a lot of it stems back to him for sure but yeah I don't I don't really have much to say about the Gungan City stuff like it looks cool that's it about looks it looks so cool uh, one thing I'm wondering though is Boss Nass is he a Gungan or is he just like an invading conqueror that's a different species because <laughs> he doesn't uh, look like a Gungan Unless yeah, he's just he, really fat. I think he's like a different... Um, I feel like he's more of like a different race of Gungan in a way. Because you're right. like He looks more of a, like an actual toad than he looks like a... I don't know what you, just how you describe a Gungan. But like those thin, ducky-looking creatures. He's more a straight-up toad. Um, I just kind of chalked it up to there's different subspecies of Gungans or something like that that he got really successful with. (laughs) Maybe. Who knows. Um, But yeah, so we kind of leave the Gungan city. Uh, Jar Jar's coming along for the ride (laughs) because Qui-Gon, I guess, cares about pathetic life forms. I do really like that so far to this point in the movie, though, Qui-Gon has been preaching about the living force a lot. Because that's something new to us, so it kind of brings the mystery of the Force back in. Like, e- even at this point, after the original trilogy, we don't know a lot about the Force. No. But now there's this added thing about what the living Force is and how that's different. And I do like that. And I also like that to this point as well, we can clearly see that Sidious has a plan. And like you can see his machinations so well when you know that he's Palpatine. Like when you, like, when you know that this is the guy... Like, 
on both sides. Like he's just playing both sides, and you can really see everything, and I love that. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Like, it's, you'd probably you would have appreciated it more at the time because you know you didn't know they were the same person, but uh, when you when you do know and you start seeing like holy smokes, you can see these like tiny little. Uh, statements and words and like how he interacts with other characters and how he subtly pushes the conversation a certain way to get what he wants like, yeah, I thought that was really cool but you you yourself would have just seen it as like hey this political guy's trying to do good well I think I think I knew that they were the same person I just didn't realize that he became the emperor oh, or yeah. something like that I can't I can't remember for certain but there was a there was a like a, a big reveal when I saw this cereal box and it was one of those two things <laughs> but that that reveal though like if you didn't know the whole time would have been really that would have been crazy i think yeah <laughs> and uh to your point about like qui-gon's idea like the living force i don't know if i'm i've been taking it wrong but i always took it as like living in the present you know like the, the like living in what is going on with with you presently in regards to the force don't like look you know in the future don't try and do all these things like just deal with what's around you right now and feel that i don't know if that's that's essentially what what it is um and he focuses more on life and uh and living things rather than the things outside of it so that it it leads him to look into the now and Mm. oftentimes like it's it's less of a light and dark kind of thing it's it's more complex but it's pretty you you pretty much had it covered there. <laughs> that's the stuff I like. Like that's that distinction between like light and dark and like the gray in between. That's the stuff I loved the most from like the Knights of the Old Republic games. Um, that kind of exploration of that is not just light and dark. There is a lot in between, and how to navigate that. And I think as a character, like he is probably the most interesting character i think we got out of all of the movies yeah i think i think dooku becomes very interesting but it's only from the extended universe and the clone wars that dooku becomes more interesting like just based on the movies alone he's not as interesting but i think like it's qui-gon and then like dooku like are the two that i i think are the most interesting from the from the films yeah um, but so after after this, we get our first instance of uh, Kira Knightley as Queen Amidala's main decoy. Because when the Jedi uh, save her and her squad from some droids, in another lovely bit of like the Jedi combat, uh, Kira Knightley is the queen at that point. I did notice that. Yeah, the whole decoy queen thing. Honestly, that blew my mind at the end of the first movie when I noticed that. Like when that came out. And even there are still times where I'm like, is that Kira or is that Natalie? I can't tell. They look so similar. Yeah. Yeah. They I did I, a really good job. I have to see Natalie for me to go. Okay, it's not. It's not Natalie. <laughs> um. But it's wild. Uh, one kind of minor thing that annoys me about this movie, and this is the like this was the first instance of it that I noticed here, but I hate the thing this movie does when they do the kind of introduction scenes between people from the original trilogy meeting each other for the first time and it's in a really like weirdly formal very staged feeling kind of like kind of way 
They do it when uh, they meet R2. They do it when R2 and C-3PO meet. They do it when Anakin meets Obi-Wan. Like, it's just these weird moments that feel mm. super separate from everything. And it's because, like, huh? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. They know each other. <laughs> yeah, I know I, I know what you mean. Yeah, I know what you mean. It stands out when, uh, especially when Anakin and Obi-Wan meet. Yeah. And I, and I hate it. But the, the Naboo squad escapes Naboo, but their ship gets damaged, so they're heading to good old Tatooine uh, to get some repairs. And we meet, at this point, the best new character from the prequel trilogy, Darth Maul, who immediately looks imposing and spooky. <laughs> he just, like, comes into the hologram from behind Palpatine with his arms crossed, looking all dope. For a guy that has like one sentence worth of lines in this movie he is so memorable and it's a shame they didn't do more with him yeah it is a it is a big shame one thing i did like though and it's a really nice touch is um r2 like gets rewarded for saving the ship and there's like they do a nice thing where they have padme being the one who's cleaning him and fixing him so it's like an act of like honor and respect to R2 that like he saved the ship so that the actual like literal queen is the one who is who is cleaning him and making sure that he's okay. I really like that touch cuz they could have had like anyone do it or not even shown anything but they they made the point of having Padme do it. Yeah, I thought that see again that's where one of those things where if you don't know that there's decoys it doesn't really matter to me, right? Because to me, I'm just like, oh, well, it's another excuse to have her in a scene with An- young Anakin when they end up picking him up. And then, you know, is that what I'm thinking of? Is that the right scene? No, this is, it's right after they leave Naboo. Uh, R2 gets some of the droids off the ships and he fixes the, uh, I think he fixes the hyperdrive thing. Yeah. And when they come back in, they, they, uh, say his call sign and give him an award so they haven't even gone to Tatooine yet huh okay I'm thinking a bit later then but uh no I never noticed that at all but I guess looking if I were to watch it again that might be something I might appreciate a little bit more oh for sure and it's fun just on the decoys it's fun when you watch it and you know seeing how many signs there actually are like they're not they're not really hiding it <laughs> it becomes quite clear when you watch it like when you know like you could pick them out <laughs> like the part when uh when they go to head into to Tatooine and like for some reason Padme's going and then later she talks about how like the queen wouldn't approve and then Qui-Gon walks away and she goes I I don't approve yeah <laughs> like those those kind of things uh are pretty neat and I like that but so the new squad, a newly formed squad of Qui-Gon, Padme, Jar Jar, and R2 head into Tatooine. I think it's Mos Espa, I think is where they're going. Not Mos Eisley, but Mos Espa, uh, where we're introduced, introduced, oh my gosh, introduced uh, to a Toydarian. And uh, we learn that Jedi tricks don't work on him. And his name's Watto and his slave... Anakin Skywalker. Little Annie? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, Jake I Lloyd. mean, they did a great job as a kid. I mean, 
honestly, I, I, like, I agree. I think he's mostly serviceable. Like, he's fine for a child actor. The trouble comes from some of his delivery of the really stupid lines. And that's hey, not his fault. <laughs> you, you can't say anything wrong with Yippee. Have you ever said Yippee for any reason ever? <laughs> no. No, I've never done it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but it's kind of like you said at the beginning. I, I don't think he deserves the hate that he gets or got. I, f- I feel like it's probably stopped now. Uh, but he did his job well enough. He said the lines he was told to say. And he also managed to learn enough of Hootis to get that across well. Like, his his lines when he's speaking Hootis are fine. Like, they're good. So good yeah. on him. <laughs> like, the kid... That's just it. He's a kid. Like I don't know how old he was. Like what, ten, something like that. I think he was eight and when he got when he got picked. Super young, and then he's just doing a job. You know what I mean? He's a kid that just he's probably like roughly he was probably roughly our age, and he was in Star Wars. Like oh, that's he, crazy. He was older he was than just, both of us. <laughs> well, yeah. Sorry, it would have been, but um, he was a part of Star Wars. Like that's. That's insane. That's the that kid should have had like that should have been his moment to do so much more. And wherever you want to like assign criticism or blame or whatever, the kid at the end of the day was just a kid doing what he was supposed to do. And I definitely don't agree with the plaque that he got. Yeah. Well, and and the thing, like, I don't want to, I don't want to shit on George Lucas because obviously he's a brilliant man and he's. Like he's an incredible filmmaker. I just one thing that a lot of people say about him generally is that he's he's a great filmmaker, but he's not a good director of people. Mm. Like his his only like usual thing, his um, feedback after a scene is faster and more intense. Like that's not really like that's not how you get good acting out of someone. So like, and all the other scripts like of the original trilogy, he he wrote, but then people went over them and they did other passes at them or other people wrote them and he just yeah. had a part of the ideas where the these prequels were mostly all him so and like he didn't direct episode five or episode six but he directed all of one through three so like that, that's some things you have to keep in mind that the, like he's not a he's not an actor's director so sometimes some scenes and some lines are gonna not be great and I don't think you can blame the actors for that. No. But anyways, uh, uh, one thing I like too is on Tatooine, Qui-Gon has a dope poncho that he's wearing. <laughs> yeah, that is cool. I, I, I do appreciate it. Like, man, that guy's rocking a poncho. It's so much cooler than the Jedi robes. He looks great. <laughs> yeah. That's that's another funny thing too is like a lot of people didn't realize that like what Obi-Wan was wearing were Jedi robes like in the original trilogy because Owen is kind of wearing the same clothes so they yeah. just assumed that, that that was like Tatooine clothes <laughs> which I think is funny but I actually kind of forgot like by this point in the movie I, I, I realized it and I forgot how minor a role Obi-Wan has in this movie he's very much a background character like he does not have a lot of screen time no no, I guess he doesn't really. Um, the focus is does... more on Qui-Gon, Padme, and then Anakin once he shows up. I I really appreciate the fact that it focused so heavily on Qui-Gon. Um, 
again, it's one of those things where, like, I have a lot of opinions on how I wish the, this trilogy was really plotted out story-wise. And I think that Qui-Gon as a character where he is very much in the gray and Obi-Wan, especially in this movie, is very much like, you know, the uh, cliche Jedi follow the rules for the Republic. Like, he's kind of like the new fallen line Jedi, while Qui-Gon's not. It would have been really cool to see more of Qui-Gon, especially with how this trilogy is about how Anakin's supposed to develop into Darth Vader. It would have made more sense, I felt, with a little bit more murkiness from Qui-Gon in the long term. Um, but you're right, like, Obi-Wan, there isn't much of him here. He doesn't even have... His role is basically just to point out flaws that the council would have with Qui-Gon. Yeah, pretty much. Um, one one thing, I, I'm not going to comment on it now because I, I'll get to it later. I do disagree about the Qui-Gon thing. I think if Qui-Gon had been around longer, uh, there's, there's no way Anakin would have turned to the dark side. But... Um, I'll save that for when we get to that bit because it's a whole it's a whole thing. <laughs> but we meet uh, we meet naked C three PO at this point as well, so we learn that Anakin created the C three PO for his mom, and that's gives a lot more relevance to C three PO. I think making him much more like ingrained in the the universe and in the world, which also like. There's a moment in Empire Strikes Back where he kind of looks at C-3PO fondly, like that now that people read into. <laughs> so I really like that. I like that that's a thing. <laughs> I have to. I have to go back and actually, that's the next movie I need to watch. He doesn't really look at him fondly, like, but like he just looks at him, and people imagine <laughs> like a look of fondness. I know there's a comic book where he actually finds like the the body, yeah, the body of C-3PO, and he like holds the head up to his own helmet which i thought was cool yeah that's, that's a nice touch uh we also at this point get darth maul's first speaking scene and i love it i want more of his buttery voice like <laughs> all he says like he says two lines he's like at last we reveal ourselves to the jedi at last we will have revenge like don't get me wrong i adore sam whitmer's maul but peter serafinowitz's voice is just so great and it's so well suited for the character yeah, it's just, it's there's like a trailer that came out for the movie. Um, they did these trailers where they were character the characters, just kind of like providing like a a monologue. And then there's like some scenes of the movie, like their TV spots, and and Darth Maul did one. That's so good. Like, I don't think I've seen that. Oh, it's it's incredible. Uh, I think it's just called what's it called. It's called uh, Darth Maul, One Truth. It's like 30 seconds. You can find it on YouTube. It's pretty great. Hmm. But this part of the movie uh, where we're on Tatooine, I think is the part where it loses me the most. And that's pretty much everything up until the pod race is just kind of like, I'm not bored, but I'm like, we can we can move past this now. Because <laughs> we get here the first mention of midichlorians. Um which is like, I get why a lot of people were upset by them. And I think they might have been better suited being something that could measure force potential rather than being what gives the Jedi the force abilities. 
that's like my thoughts on midichlorians. I don't know. Yeah, that's pretty much how still I still interpret it as well. It's like the more you have, the more potential you have. Yeah, it, it's it's odd, but I I do appreciate they they show that Anakin is observant and that he realizes that Qui Gon's a Jedi like just by looking at him and seeing like the lightsaber and stuff. I thought that was a pretty neat touch. I also appreciate that they took the time here to show that Anakin is like he's a good kid as his starting point. Like he's a good kid. He wants to help people. He wants to free slaves. Like he feels things. He seems to be a very empathetic person. And like to quote Hamilton, which I listen to all the time, he sees injustice in the world and he wants to correct it. So I like that this is Anakin's starting point. Because you now know he has to go from this to Vader in three movies. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a tall order <laughs> to paint this kid as like this, like he's I, the ideal person. Like he's super kind and he just wants to help everybody. And then, yeah, he becomes the Darth Vader. In three movies, and a, and a big part and, of that is because of kid. the Jedi, <laughs> which which I will get to, I'm sure, in in other movies. Um, but we also learn here that he's, I guess, an immaculate birth, apparently, and uh, that there was no father. So, um, so I know some people like on the internet try to claim that she's lying, and like that that she's just trying to cover up a darker origin for Anakin because like. I'm not going to spell it out, but she's a slave and, and something like bad things normally happen. Um, but I believe that, that at least in the legends, like in the old canon, they had confirmed that Plagueis and Palpatine made Anakin with the Force. I'm not sure if that's been confor- confirmed in the Disney canon yet. I think it has. has it? I think it's been confirmed that uh, Palpatine himself influenced the force to actually make Anakin in her like directly. I think that's a Disney thing Okay, that he's, he, he intentionally decided to make a child with Shmi with the force. I like the, I I'll have to double check that, but I like the original way, the idea of it more like that Plagueis kind of reached out to try and do something with the force and the force kind of like backlash against it. And that created Anakin. Yeah, I like that better. I like that better too. Um, I'm like I'm fine with Palpatine being the one to do it, but I like just doing it directly like that. I don't like. I like the idea that they still had to find this kid. Yeah, which I think is more interesting. But yeah, that's good to know. I'll have to look that up too and see if I can find it. Um, but it's also super rude of Qui Gon to just steal Anakin's blood and then lie about why he's <laughs> taking it. <laughs> that is so rude. <laughs> well, he might not have been lying. Like he might have actually been doing a a check on. But but he did. He said check another for chlorians. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I that little device that Qui Gon had though. I actually this is one of the things I remember the most from this movie is when this came out with the action there was figures. A, there was a toy yeah. of that like, little communicator device he had. Yeah. <laughs> and it would play lines from the movie. Yeah. And I would bought- play this one line from Mace Windu so much. I can't remember what it was, but like there's a line from the movie that Mace Windu does and I just kept playing it over and over. I think it was we will uh I do not think the Sith would have returned without us knowing. I think that's the the line from the movie. 
and I played it like a thousand times. I swear, my parents wanted to like break that thing because it just makes Windows Voice all the time in the house. I don't think the Sith could have returned without us knowing. <laughs> Four hundred times a day. I don't know if we had the same one because I had that toy as well, like a similar one, except it was you could uh, when you bought action figures, it came with a little like card that you scanned, and when you scanned it, it gave you like a voice line things that like. It might have been the same thing, but I'm not. I'm not a hundred percent on that. Mm. But I did have a, a toy like that, and it was pretty cool. <laughs> so awesome. Uh, so we get to the pod race scene. It's still cool, and it looks great. I just feel it's a it's a tad bit too long. Um, and also, why did George have Anakin go whoa when Qui Gon picks him up to put him in the pod? Like, come <laughs> on, just take that out. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, I... <laughs> they, they make him a bubbly kid. I what I really like about this part leading up to the pod race is Qui Gon manipulating Watto to motivate things the way that he kind of wants them to go, which you wouldn't expect from a Jedi necessarily, right? Like I know we've seen Obi Wan in the episode four use mind tricks on a couple characters, but this is the first time where you see him literally cheating at gambling. Yeah, <laughs> like, and I thought it was awesome. I think for, uh, I think for the thing though there is that um, like the reason why Watto gets so mad is I think he's also cheating, like I think they're weighted dice. Oh, probably. Like I think that was the implication, but uh, I'm not certain. No, I I love that him you know negotiating to try because once they find out that like Qui Gon believes pretty heavily that um, Anakin is the chosen one, which I frankly still to this day really hate that notion of being the chosen one um but anyway i i like the fact that he believes so so deeply that anakin is something special so he tries to like negotiate to get him free so they can take him with them and that's where you get like that cool dice roll and then he even tries to get i don't know what his plan would have been given how the jedi seem to operate because he tried to get Anakin's mom freed too. I'm sure he would he, he would have sorted something out, and she would have worked in like the like she would have worked on Coruscant, or she would have, uh, or she would have like gone to Naboo or something probably. Yeah, see, I don't know because like the Jedi have a hard enough time just taking Anakin because he's too old and other reasons. The fact that I, one of their biggest things is to remove that family connection from a child before they become a Jedi. Yeah, but so they would have... L- literally bring him with them is like, eh. If, like, if, if Qui-Gon had survived and he had brought them both, they they, they would have had to go against Qui-Gon, but then they'd also have to go against uh, Dooku, because D- Dooku still would have been with the Order at that point. Yeah. So, like, it would have been it would have been a whole kerfuffle, and I'm sure it would have worked out, and I'm sure she would have died anyways. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> Maul would have killed her in the second movie. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, you kind of mentioned it. Qui-Gon gets Anakin freed uh, so he can indoctrinate this young child into the Jedi Order, leaving his mother to slavery under what is probably going to be a very angry master because he just lost uh, a massive bet and he lost his best slave. So he's probably, he's probably not going to be in a good mood. Um Anyway, <laughs> really painted a dark, dark idea there. Yeah, uh, then Qui Gon has a brief yet awesome fight with uh, Darth Maul before he force jumps onto the ship to escape, and uh, we get the stupid moment of Obi Wan meeting Anakin. 
I that was hype really builds really well in this movie. Um, you know, you see very little of Darth Maul over the course of the entire film to this point. And the fact that he very quickly after, you know, they, they win the race, they find or he finds Qui-Gon and Anakin. And you see that fight in the desert. Like he just comes in hot and heavy and attacks them. I thought that was so cool. Well, the, the one thing I will li- I, I will say about George is he's incredible at paying like attention like to detail. So you can if you watch um, you watch the Tatooine scenes back and if you keep an open eye, you can see his buzz droids in random yeah. seeds following them. Like the buzz droids are at the race. The buzz droids are like going by when they're fixing the pod. Like he's been keeping an eye on them the whole time. And the, yeah. the movie's kind of been showing cool. you that that he's like he's there and he's onto them. <laughs> and then he comes in like a panther. <laughs> He's just he's just so cool. <laughs> he's super menacing and you know Qui-Gon's very much like during that fight he has to take, he can't I don't know if he retreated because he didn't think he could win or what but he, that fight however brief it really took a toll on the guy. And it paints this image of Darth Maul as like he's vicious and he is out to get them and he's super cool. Yeah. I do like too during these like this scene and then there's other parts. Um, I like the little touches showing how close Qui Gon and Obi Wan's relationship is. Like even though they Obi Wan disagrees with them sometimes and like talks them up, they they're very in tune. Like Obi Wan knows to take the ship off and put it close so that uh, Qui Gon can jump. Like he yeah. realizes just through one like space phone call that they picked up another pathetic life form. Like, <laughs> they, they just know each other well, and I really like that. How long, uh, I mean, I guess it wouldn't really matter now. It's probably Legends, but how long was Obi-Wan Qui-Gon's Padawan for? Um, so I think, so Obi-Wan was near the, uh, in the Legends, he was near the age where they would send him away to join, like, one of their service corps because no one wanted to take him as an apprentice. Uh, so he was he was older, so he, I can't remember if it's 13 or 16, like one of the two, something like that, maybe 13. Uh, and then Qui-Gon takes him when he's 14, and I think he's 20 in Phantom Menace, so six years, probably. That actually makes me sad to hear that no one wanted Obi-Wan. Yep, no one wanted him. <laughs> Like he was like a sub, like he was like an average student, and yeah, that's one of the things I I do recall reading a fair amount is that Obi Wan really wasn't anything special when it comes to his performance. Yeah, he was just a he was just a good Jedi. Um, so let me see. I'm gonna see, I'm just up on his Wikipedia right now, seeing what it says. He underwent a so he was a son. Oh, this is canon. I, I don't, I, the canon's not going to help me. <laughs> legends. <laughs> Hit me up, Legends. Um, so he became Qui-Gon's apprentice when he was 13. Yeah. And then I, him being 20 in Phantom Menace is my own guess, but I think he's at least 20. Anyways, uh... Once they're on the ship and they're flying away, Anakin gives Padme a gift because bitches love gifts. 
<laughs> I had to <laughs> like jewelry, man. I had to say, well, it's kind of jewelry. <laughs> he gives her a Japur snippet, uh, which is something I like that it comes back in episode three. We see that she she wears it and she has it. Yeah, um, I did like that. And uh, then we go to Curasant, a planet that seems to be the exact definition of overcrowded. And there we meet uh, Shifty Palps in person, played by Ian McDermott of Episode 6 and sort of Episode 5 fame. He was later edited into Episode 5 instead of the Monkey Lady. Uh, and then we meet Chancellor... Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> we meet Chancellor Valorum, uh, a.k.a. General Zod, a.k.a. Jarrell, uh, for for us DC nerds. Um and then Shifty Palps drops some bits of doubt into Padme's mind, like already. And we hop over to meet the Jedi Council. Of of the people there, I don't recognize everybody. I recognize Mace Windu, Master Yoda, uh, Kiari Mundi, Kitfisto, Depa Bilaba, Yaddle, and Eve Koff. Those are the only ones I recognize. I don't know if you recognized anyone else. Was uh was Plo Koon on that council? Who might have been there? I can't remember. That's a good. Like, I feel like he was, but I mean, I know he was definitely in the s- second one. He's in the second I feel one. Like, I feel like he was in the first one, though. I'll check. <laughs> uh, I actually didn't recall seeing Yaddle though, so I guess I missed that. Yeah, you can see her when when uh, you can see her at a couple points, and it's just it's just Yoda's puppet with a wig. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he was. I don't think he was. Huh. Okay. Well, no, maybe he was. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, not important. There's a bunch of people I don't know on the council. Like, there's a guy who looks like a Kaminoan, and then there's a dude with a headpiece. <laughs> but yeah, it's cool seeing the Jedi Council, uh, seeing two Yodas. It's pretty neat. Because he was still also a puppet in this one, too, wasn't he? Yeah. He's, like, if you watch it now, he's CGI, but Yaddle is still a puppet. Hmm. But, yeah. Uh, anyway, Qui-Gon's like, hey, guys, I found this kid. Let's put him in our cult. And they're <laughs> like, we can't. He's too old, so he won't fall in line with our cult. And Qui-Gon's like, well, you guys think about it. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and also, side note, I'm pretty sure I fought a Sith. K-bye. And, and they leave. <laughs> and that's, we, that's basically it, yeah. That's basically it. Wow. And we learn from, like, a talk between Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan that, like, Qui-Gon's a bit of a maverick. And he doesn't always listen to the Jedi Code or the Council, which is why he's not been given a spot on the Jedi Council, even though he is, like, more than deserving of one. And then Obi-Wan's like... They won't train the kid. He sucks, and I hate him. So stop arguing with him. And this is when I wanted to get to the bit where I, where I talked about Qui-Gon, and it, it's a bit of a rant. But I don't know if you've seen it. It's uh, Dave Filoni did an interview uh, where he discussed why the Duel of the Fates is actually called the Duel of the Fates. I did, yeah. Yeah, so for the people who don't know, basically the duel is for the fate of Anakin, because if uh, if Qui-Gon had won, then Anakin likely would have been trained correctly. He would have been trained empathetically. 
he would have likely have become a very good Jedi with a father figure who understood his needs. Instead, Qui-Gon dies, and Anakin's fate is kind of set. Like, at that point, he's set on being Darth Vader. And I, th I, th I think that's kind of what uh, Dave Filoni was talking about. I, didn't, I haven't watched it in a while. But I remember, that's pretty much what he was saying. Yeah. And I remember um, I had watched... Because I told you that I'd watched uh, Phantom Menace like three times in a week, <laughs> a couple weeks ago, um, and one of the times I watched, I watched it with the commentary with Sam Witwer, and he pointed out that if you watch the scene where Anakin's like test is happening, um, when he's being tested by the Jedi, you can see the sun setting. So the sun sets on the Republic at that point, because like again, his fate's kind of set, and the Republic is now entering a dark period from that point on it's very very interesting stuff hmm. but that's why i think i i disagreed with your qui-gon comment is i think if, if qui-gon had trained him he would have been taught how to properly deal with his emotions and he probably would have just stayed the kind of like very helpful like kind person and and i don't think palpatine would have been able to manipulate him as he did if qui-gon was there like I agree with what you like what you're leading with, and Dave Filoni, I'm not going to argue with what he says. I mean, that guy's basically saving Star Wars, but um, I I do think that regardless of like, let's just say Qui Gon survived and he trained Anakin, I think regardless, it's determined that he would somehow become Darth Vader anyway. Like I. He still would have had, you know, think about what motivated him to really start pushing along that way. Like, the big events, at least from the movies, was the death of his mother. That still would have happened because Palpatine still would have probably, and I don't know for sure if that's, like, canon or not yet, but I'm pretty sure the same way, like, that Palpatine put images in people's heads to get them to do what he wanted, he did the same thing with Anakin. So he, like, showed him the pain and suffering that his mother was going through. So he would have had to go through that regardless if, uh, if he was being trained by Qui-Gon or not. But the he theory, I guess, loved... is the, the, the theory is that like if Qui-Gon had trained him and Qui-Gon was there, as soon as those dreams would have started, they would have gone and checked on her. Like, But she still would have died. Well, no, because she, she only died because he was too late. Right. But And this is where I have my kind of my problem with it in a way is like regardless if they went like as soon as he had one bad dream and he got there in time she would have still died somehow like right, but Palpatine the, being Palpatine he would have done something the difference though is that the Anakin who we have in Attack of the Clones which is like which, which I think is the crux of the thing is and who knows for sure it's all it's all theoretical and, and, and just fan opinions but the Anakin that we have at that point is an emotionally stunted Anakin who was ripped away from his mother, who was a slave his whole life, and then he was put into this dogmatic order that taught, that tried to teach him to suppress every emotion that he had. So he was a messed up kid. Yeah, if, if I think he would have been with Qui Gon, he wouldn't be that. I think he while that's true, he would have been more okay with crossing those lines, and because of that, and being who he is anyway like being okay to cross certain lines and being like maybe you could regulate those emotions a little bit better and navigate them better he would because of like 
Qui-Gon being the kind of guy that he is, that he's going to skirt the lines and the rules a little bit. Anakin would do the same, even more than he already did in episodes two and three. So he would still eventually cross out one line at some point. That would be too much. Um, but I agree. Like if he had Qui-Gon, he would have had a much better uh, experience, like in terms of managing those problems. Yeah, I I, I, just... I don't agree, but I think like we do, who knows. But I think he would have been a very different. I think he like his destiny was to become either a Jedi and the chosen one of prophecy, or to become Darth Vader, and 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 yeah. the, and that was set in the duel. I think, and I think I'm assu- like it, the way Dave talked about it is I'm assuming he got that from George, but even if he didn't, I still I still like I, Dave's word is gospel. <laughs> yeah, I like I said, I you can't you really can't argue with him. He's really the new linchpin that you kind of need to kind of take his word on because he's he spent a lot of time with George and he spent a lot of time working on all the great stuff that we have nowadays in Star Wars anyway so yeah everything not really going to be the guy to good, argue with that <laughs> everything good from Star Wars since like 2007 that's not novels comes from Dave Filoni <laughs> so that's yeah uh, but then yeah so back, back to the movie uh, Padme, thanks to manipulations from Shifty Palps, uh, begins a vote of no confidence in Chancellor Valorum to get replaced by someone who will help her planet. And of course, that means Sheev is the new Chancellor. Yay, Sheev. <laughs> Shifty Palps got his new job. Um, and we shoot over to Anakin's test with the Jedi, and it seems to be going real well until the Jedi get all, you miss your mom, don't you, you loser? And we get we get Yoda's wild quote of this movie, uh, which is like the first hint of like that we see that how lost the Jedi really are now. And he says like fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Uh, those things only happen if you completely ignore proper emotional responses to things, and, and shove down all emotions until they explode out of you in a Younglin killing rage, but <laughs> that's <laughs> that's just me. Um, but the Jedi Council uh, refused to train Anakin because he's too old, which is like even to like I think that's really stupid because you're throwing away this super powerful kid when you now know they're a Sith about. <laughs> well, they have suspicions of a Sith about, but yeah. Um, I, I look at it as like a very much like a Jason Todd kind of idea. Like, yeah, you can let him go, but like he's very clearly got crazy potential. You can either take him and maybe make him something good, or you can leave him and almost guarantee he becomes something bad. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like, come on. <laughs> so Qui-Gon is kind of there like, yeah, I'll train him. <laughs> Obi-Wan's ready to become a knight. Uh, so g- give me the kid. And some people, I've seen some people online get upset like on Obi-Wan's behalf for this but I'm kind of like it's kind of a compliment he's saying that he's ready and I'm just keeping him around with me because I like hanging out with him like <laughs> I mean I could see the argument against it you know people are probably like wow you want this kid that bad you're just gonna like throw Obi-Wan to the wolves already like he says like yeah you're he's good to go but I definitely get the sense that like when I watch that still I'm like yeah 
they're not willing to let you take Anakin because you still have Obi-Wan. So I'm just going to get rid of Obi-Wan. He's good enough now. Like, he is good enough. Like, he's still good at what he does and everything. But he's so desperate to be training Anakin because of how much he believes in what he is that uh, he passes it off to Obi-Wan. But, like I said, he is ready. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, but Qui-Gon, he, he respects their decision, but he's also like to Anakin, he's like, watch everything I do. <laughs> yeah. And he says like a great line. He says, your focus determines your reality, which he says, she's saying like, focus on me, focus on being a Jedi, and those things will happen. And it's more of his kind of like living force kind of thing. And we get Padme being like, politics suck and serve no purpose. I'm going to go back to Naboo. <laughs> so she leaves to go for fisticuffs because the politics aren't really helping and the Jedi squad joins up with her and they go back to Naboo and I I I really like Padme I don't know how you what you think of a wrestling character and everything but like when I look at the whole trilogy and like this movie in particular for like a star character like a, a leading character the whole like when you think of Princess Leia Padme is an even better version of Leia in a lot of ways, in my opinion. Writing aside, like, I know she's got some really brutal lines, but, like, the, she's super young. She is willing to... Like, she's got the whole decoy thing on the go, but she'll drop the decoy to, you know, plead for the Gungans later. Like, she's aggressive when she needs to be, but completely diplomatic when she has to be. And nothing she does in any of the movies, as far as I can really tell, like if she has to go and do the whole fisty cuffs thing and like lead a fight to somebody, she does it, and it's all completely believable. Yeah, I like I like Padme a lot uh, up until the third movie when I start to have some problems with her, uh, but that's just because of the writing for her changes. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I like her a lot, and I think I think they do a good job with her and everything that she's in up until episode three where it gets a little trickier but uh i still like her in that too and so yeah so she as you said she reveals herself that sounds really dirty <laughs> to the gungans as being the queen and they make a deal to like to fight the droids together uh there's one other nice touch that i noticed though that i really like they make a point of showing anakin on like the the nubian cruiser they make a point of showing him with the pilot like showing that he know like that he's been paying attention and that he knows how to fly the cruiser which comes into like comes into the movie a little bit later when he's flying the ship because he's asking questions and he's watching things like so you know that he's he's taking it in on how to do this and i like that they, they they took that little like one minute to do that which well that's important you know like there's that one line from episode four where obi-wan talks about anakin and how he was like one of the best pilots in the galaxy. So it's good to kind of start showing off even at a young age that how dialed in he is to that. Yeah. But so yeah, we get to the battle between the Gungans and the droids, and I think at first it's cool, but then I lose interest in it as soon as like Jar Jar starts doing Jar Jar things. Like a- a- any interest I had in that like scene is gone as soon as he started like kicking grenades at people and stuff, like Yeah. And then the space stuff with Anakin is fine, I guess. My my biggest complaint about that is I wish that they made it more so that he did everything he did there on purpose rather than doing it accidentally. 
like so show that he's competent as the movie has tried to suggest to this point or show that he's being guided by the force or something like when Luke shot the Death Star like the Death Star rocket take out the stupid lines like you're like this is pod racing <laughs> and I, I think that that part of the movie could have been great because you show like you show his potential you show a reason for why the, the Jedi Council changed their mind you show that he's competent and you show that like he's powerful in the force or that the force is with him or whatever like there's so many things you could have done there and they chose not to do that because George tried to be funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't have a... That scene is really wacky when he goes up there and he, like, lucks through the whole the whole experience. Um, yeah, he... he, he that's really what it was. He lucked up. through it. Yeah, he accidentally blows up a massive ship. <laughs> okay. He, he somehow does not get himself killed on autopilot the whole time yep anyways uh, we get the big reveal here the, the moment we've all been waiting for uh, Darth Maul is waiting in the hangar for the Jedi and as Duel of the Fate starts playing he reveals his double bladed lightsaber and uh, we get into what is probably the second or third best lightsaber duel of all the live action movies in my opinion yeah, him igniting that other side was just mind blowing. I know, like, there was not a double bladed lightsaber up until that movie, and I'm sure for a lot of people, I know for me at least, it blew my mind when I saw it when I was a oh, kid. Oh, absolutely! I'm like, I didn't know it could do that. <laughs> All the good guys win though, uh, but Qui Gon dies. Obi Wan cuts Maul in half and drops him down a big old chute, and this movie kills, air quotes around kills. Uh, off the two best characters from this movie. Yeah. Though we do later discover that like Maul lives and that Qui-Gon learns how to become a ghost, it's still really silly that they killed off the two best characters. <laughs> I wonder, has there ever been any sort of uh, discussion from George or even Dave, I guess? Uh, more or less for George, I guess, if there's been any discussion on why they felt the need to kill Qui-Gon right then and there or Darth Maul like why they wouldn't have uh, kept them around for at least one more movie well to kill Qui- the, the purpose of killing Qui-Gon was to get Anakin with Obi-Wan because part of Anakin's turn to the dark side is, is obviously Obi-Wan is not was not ready to be a teacher nor was he a great teacher so like it's it, it's part of like Anakin's growth to being uh, Darth Vader but then uh Darth Maul, he just admitted that was a mistake. Like, that he shouldn't have killed him in the first one. Yeah. Because I think he wanted, like, a different villain in each one. Leading up to the Empire, but... Or the Emperor, but... Obviously, it was a mistake. <laughs> yeah, you would have been way better off having Maul in all three. Yeah, I agree. But then, uh... One thing I noticed, too, and it was pointed out to me, but, uh... uh the Naboo scene, when they... When, like, the Jedi arrive... There's a terrible stand-in for Mace Windu <laughs> that looks nothing like Samuel L. Jackson. Really? <laughs> yeah. Is that like, during the funeral? Uh, it's before the funeral, like when they first get there and they're like walking down the street um, in Naboo. You can see all the huh. Jedi Councils there, but there's like a guy who looks nothing like Samuel L. Jackson. This <laughs> for Mace Windu. I need to look at that because, yeah, I never noticed. And then we get a really weird scene where Yoda... 
So Yoda promotes Obi-Wan to the rank of Jedi Knight. And then he tells him the council does not agree to train Anakin. So Obi-Wan's like, well, okay, I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> and then Yoda says, okay, agreed, the council does. So either Yoda decided for himself, as if he was the council, that it was okay. Or the council already said yes, and he was just being a troll to see Obi-Wan's <laughs> convictions. Like, <laughs> either way, Yoda, I, Yoda's playing games. <laughs> I suspect that Yoda, you know, being the Grandmaster, he probably, the council probably said, no, we're not going to train him. But then once Obi-Wan said, like, no, I'm, I'm going to train him, he's probably like, okay, fine, we'll do it. Like, he vetoed the whole council by making that call. It's probably that. Yeah, I imagine. I just think it's more funny that he's being a troll. Because, <laughs> like, as you know, like, if, if you know him, like, from the original trilogy only, that's what he does. Like, he's, he's, he's like a, an old prankster. <laughs> he's a kooky guy. He's a kooky Heck, guy. He even does it to Luke in the new movies. Yeah, he does. <laughs> he's, just, he's just being fun and kooky. The, the movie also does a big tip-off. Like, so, like, if you didn't know Palpatine's the Sith, you sure do. When they're talking about uh, that there's two, two there are, no more, no less. And then the the music starts and the camera zooms to Palpatine. <laughs> I don't know, man. You tell me. Do you know? I know now. Do you know at that scene? I know now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I, like I said at the beginning, I like this movie. Uh, the time I watched it and took these notes, it was my third viewing in the two weeks, like I, like I told you. I don't know why I watched it so many times. I just, I, it just happened. Um, but I think, yeah, I think the movie's still good. There's some minor nitpicks, a lot of things we talked about, some of them we didn't. Uh, and there's some annoying things, but I think the potential is all there. And it sets up well for what comes next. It almost makes me wish that they didn't skip so far ahead into episode two. Like they didn't do a 10 year time jump. Huh, okay. But there are a lot of good books in between the two featuring like Anakin's training, so I was pleased as a kid, so like I I was satisfied. I got I got the I I know what happened in between those years with Anakin and Obi-Wan, so I'm okay with it. <laughs> I I really would have liked it if uh you know, this movie didn't happen with Anakin so young. Like I wish Give me an Anakin that's already been a part of the council. Like I, I know I watched uh, what was it? I think Jeremy Johns. I don't know if you've ever watched his reviews, but he did a review for this movie, and uh, he basically talked about how why didn't why couldn't we have just started basically with an Anakin that was already in the like a part of the Jedi Order? He was already in it, maybe being trained by Obi Wan. And there's just like a line that's like, hey, remember when we found you on Tatooine? And like, you can make a, like a sentence or a small little scene that like gives a whole lot of background story to like how Anakin came to join the Order. And then you can skip right to like him actually already being a Jedi. So you have episodes like one and two of him already navigating that kind of stuff because really, he doesn't have a whole lot of development like two and three is the same actor the same rough age but this one there's such a time gap like you said between one and two like his character growth from anakin in episode one to number two is completely different people 
Yeah. Like, I know there's, I like, don't... essential stuff in episode one, but you could have taken that stuff, put it in, epi- like, reorganized the, the trilogy in a way that, like, episode two is basically the first one. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't think that it was ever going to happen, though. I think the plan oh. was always to start Anakin on Tatooine like Luke was, to, to start him from that same point. I know there was plans to make him older, but then George decided to make him a kid because he was trying to appeal to kids. So he yeah. wanted Anakin like to be a kid, and he thought it would be more engaging to see this young kid and how this young kid becomes Darth Vader. But the thing is, you, you hardly do because, like I said, there's that huge time gap where, you know, he goes from a kid to full-on hormonal teenager. Yeah, maybe, maybe like it's just maybe it's because like maybe I just didn't have that because I read all the Padawan books, mm. like that detailed a lot of his like growing up in the temple and stuff. So maybe I just don't feel that because like I I got that. Like I still think I I think the jump is jarring, and I wish we would have seen more between like the two in the movies so like i get that but, but i'd i like i, I you're, you're not the only person i hear that from that they should have started with anakin and the jedi but i feel like if you started with anakin and the jedi you lose seeing him before the jedi and that's a big part of how like weird it is that he becomes darth vader in my opinion i guess because like if you if someone if you watch this one movie where you see this one super kind kid, like someone who's not who's not super familiar with Star Wars that they've only seen, like four and five, and then they watch one you're like that you know that kid, he becomes Darth Vader. People will be like what? <laughs> so is it really just the fact that he's a kid? Is that why it's like oh my god that's a kid and Wait, he becomes Darth Vader? What is he, or the fact a, that his personality? He's a kid and it's it's the fact that he's a kid and his per, and his personality like I've. I've watched a lot of like reaction videos of, of people watching episode one for the first time, and they have that moment where they're like, "Oh, that kid, that kid becomes Darth Vader!" Like, yeah, because it's it's a thing. Like, and I think it works, but that's I don't I don't disagree that it time might have been better spent in other ways, but I'm okay with the way that it went <laughs> personally. Yeah, in that regard. yeah, you know if. Uh... I kept thinking back to how I wish it would have went, and I mean, I one thing we can definitely, I think it'd be kind of cool to have a discussion after we do, um, you know, episode three, or even after we do all of them, um, is how we would have liked ourselves, each one to go, and how that would have, like, keep the same message, or the same, like, rough, like, okay, episodes one to three, we have to show him becoming Vader, and then four, five, and six, we gotta do Luke, and then Vader's redemption, and then the mess that is seven, eight, nine. I, I honestly, um, like, the, the, I think it'd be interesting to do, but I honestly, like, I don't think the story of Anakin alone could have been told in three movies. Like, to get a really, like, to get the most satisfying result of Anakin to Darth Vader, I don't think it could be done in three. I don't either with how they did it. That's why I keep saying, like, start with episode two and build from there. I like. I still it, think even then it wouldn't it wouldn't have been enough unless unless what they did was like episode two was episode one and then they had a movie where he's a knight and he has Ahsoka. 
like if they did like Ahsoka's like removal from the Jedi Order as movie two, and then movie three was like Revenge of the Sith as it was, maybe. Well, that's, but even then, that's basically that kind of what been, I was going for. Yeah. Even then, I don't think that would have been enough. I think, like, it it works without the other stuff, but to get the full picture, like you needed those five, technically seven seasons of Clone Wars, like you need like to really understand who Anakin is and then what like what happened and why it happened like you need a lot more time for it to really yeah. truly work. Yeah, no I agree with that. I know I haven't watched that whole I haven't watched that whole series but I mean you can't you can't argue the fact that a, a show gives vastly more like character development than like three movies do. Oh, 100%. And some kids fall to that extreme definitely you'll need or want that kind of show to be able to do that but that's why like the movies for what they are like where they're like what two 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 and a half hours long each um it's so much more important that it's very clear and very like focused and i don't because of episode one and especially two i feel like that focus is kind of like murky that's why i bring up the idea of like say skipping one or at least taking a bunch of portions from one and put it into two. And right. two is like your starting point. I think the only the only thing though for me, unless you like unless you just started the two timeline, I think the reason why it kinda works is because episode one is you see him as he is before the Jedi Order. Episode two you see him suffocated, like how the order has stagnated him. Like he's angry, he lashes out like he he's annoying. Like he's an annoying kid. <laughs> he's an annoying teenager. And then in three, he's kind of grown into himself. So like you see him as like a kid, a teenager, an adult. Yeah. And they do that in the three movies to show you those points. And I feel like that's part of why it works. But yeah, I think I remember hearing something about. I think it might have been an interview, or some behind the scenes special with Luke. Uh, sorry, George, and he was uh, he was basically saying saying that you know we wanted to show him as a kid and then as a teenager and the going through the order and then him as like a full on like best the best Jedi Knight. Um, yeah, because it, it kind of shows like the Jedi are good, like the Jedi are a good group deep down, like they're there's something good, but then it kind of shows how they like how this one person couldn't deal with it because you see him like before you see him during and then you see him after it begs the question though that's something that the movies don't show is like okay is it specifically anakin that the jedi order doesn't work for no it doesn't, or is it doesn't it work other... for everybody that's that's one thing the clone wars does really well and that's why i tell like anyone to watch it like like ahsoka leaves the jedi order because it's like it it doesn't work like yeah, Barris Offee, who's a character from the Clone Wars, and you, I think you see her in Attack of the Clones. Um, she's one of the Jedi in Geonosis. She turns to the dark side because the Jedi Order doesn't work. Like they're broken, and a part of part of that is because of the Sith, but a part of it is also just because they've stagnated and they've lost their way. Like in this peaceful republic, they they're just not what they're supposed to be, and it's kind of. It's kind the of movies like, fail to show that as well as they could have. They do. Yeah, they do fail to show it as well as they could have. And then 
but it's kind of like in code like to to go to what you know it's like Kodor in Kodor the Jedi order at that in that point is kind of lost as well which is the that whole their whole like uh strict following of their code is why Revan and Malak split and yeah like, like a whole group of Jedi split to fight in the Mandalorian wars and stuff like the Jedi's have had the same problems like repeated <laughs> throughout history Almost like a poem, right? It rhymes. Yeah. It wasn't until, like, Luke's Jedi Order in Legends that things started to change. But then they erased that, and we don't have a Jedi Order anymore. <laughs> no, we have a... Jedi. We have a Ray. We have one... We have a, <laughs> we have a Ray. But yeah, that's the first movie. <laughs> Uh, do you have any other thoughts on this one before we, we end this and and uh, next time will be episode two? Yeah, no, I, I don't really have too much more to say about this one. I It's pretty straightforward and that's something I you know, I do really appreciate about it. Yeah, I think like as as, as anyone listening to this can tell, we we kinda of get bogged down in the theory a bit and that's a lot of things that'll happen is we'll, we'll probably look too deep at things that don't need to be looked at that deeply. But uh I like this movie, like as you said, it's pretty straightforward, but there's a lot of nuance and fun little touches to it. Especially things that you start to notice uh, on a repeat viewing, I think. Yeah. And and that's something you don't get as often as you would like to have seen in like the newer ones, I don't think. You know, there's a lot more nuance going on here and there's a lot more speculation and like room for us to talk like at length about what we would have liked and what could have worked here better and what didn't work and why was this done like there's a lot of there's a lot more conversations that can be had with the prequels i think yeah. than say the newer movies when and part of like i don't want to talk about them too much yet till we're actually there but part of the reason why i think that that speculation stuff doesn't work is because speculation fails when you try to speculate something that they didn't have a plan for yet <laughs> yeah but but anyways uh <laughs> that's episode one thank you very much for listening to us babble about star wars and uh, come back for at least 11 more i guess <laughs> holy smokes <laughs> <laughs> bye